is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Turn on the TV these days and you're likely to come across preachers of the prosperity gospel. Just what is the prosperity gospel and how does it differ from Christ's true teachings? Joining us to talk about it is Thomas Stork, a convert to the Catholic faith and the author of a new book called The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teachings. Stork has been writing on Catholic social teaching, Catholic culture, and related topics since the early 1980s. He is the author, translator, or editor of nine previous books and of numerous articles and contributions to collected volumes. He received his undergraduate education at Kenyon College in Ohio and has a master's degree from St. John's College in Santa Fe. Thomas Stork, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Joel Osteen and so many other mega preachers these days have become so deeply ingrained in our culture. You, you turn on the TV and you see these guys and, and women preaching what is a really appealing message that if you just believe the right way or say the right prayers that God will send blessings your way. I, could you could, could you talk about that? What is that message, the prosperity gospel that it's called? And, and what are the roots of that? Well, yeah, the prosperity gospel, <clears throat> as you said, if you if you do certain things, usually involving sending money to the uh, preacher, uh, then God will will bless you. And there's no there's no talk about bless you with with all the material things of the world, health, wealth, good relationships, etc. And there's nothing about carrying the cross, about um, uh, being with God in, in difficult times, and so on. And it's uh, so I was asked by Tan to write a book about this subject. And it's very easy to make fun of the prosperity gospel. So what I wanted to do was something that I hope would be a little more, more fundamental, which was talk about the roots of the prosperity gospel, why it's found such fertile soil in the United States. And so that's, that's really what the book is about. As, if you want to talk about what are these roots, well, there are, there are basically three of them related. One is the tremendous influence in this country of the philosophy of John Locke, which has made um, was has removed purpose from the public square, from, from the public discourse, and made it a private matter. So if you want to make your life about pleasure, that's your, that's your business. If I want to make it about making a lot of money, that's my business. If somebody else wants to make it about virtue, well, that's fine, but it's, it's private for him. There is no national conversation, no national consensus about what is the purpose of life, what is the purpose of the state, what is the purpose of really anything. And so religion in the United States, although it's been an omnipresent force, has pretty much been a, a private matter uh, for individuals. And this is, as I said, led to the loss of purpose, which has um, affected pretty much every aspect of life, from the political to the economic, to the education, to art, and so on. And then the other thing which I highlight in the book is the this country was as far as the determining intellectual forces, 
settled by the most radical kind of Protestantism from Europe uh, in, in New England and the Middle Colonies. The Southern Colonies were Anglicans, but the New England and the Middle Colonies had much more of an intellectual influence on American culture. And they were the, they were the Protestants that were trying to get away from any vestige of Catholicism. I mean, the Puritans and other groups like that, separatists, left the Church of England because they thought it was too Catholic, the Protestant Church of England, that is. And, um, and, they, wanted to, and they came to the United States where they could set up uh, a polity according to their own lights. So these, this radical kind of Protestantism that didn't have any kind of Catholic context, even, even like in Europe, for example, you go around, you'll see old ruins, Catholic ruins, monasteries, cathedrals, and so on. It's a kind of reminder that, yes, we were once Catholics. And ceremonies like, say, the recent coronation of the King of Great Britain is another vestige of Catholicism. And we don't have anything like that in the U.S. We don't have old ruins to remind us, hey, you know, there was once another kind of way to live. We don't have ceremonies like that. Instead, we embrace the most uh, detached and radical Protestantism and and liberalism, but here I'm using liberalism in a sense that's not typical in the U.S. I'm using it not in the sense of the policies of the Democratic Party, for example, but I'm using it to mean the, this long civilizational movement that started in the 16th century and in the United States is pretty omnipresent and includes most conservatives as well as most liberals, those who call themselves conservatives and liberals. So it's really a, it's a different meaning of the word liberal from what you're most people are used to. And so I hope that uh, if I use that word today, people will stop and think, hey, he doesn't mean by that just what I uh, am accustomed to having to mean. Can you talk about how the Catholic Church itself has been affected by the, the forces that you mentioned in your book? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting topic. Now, until the 1840s, there weren't very many Catholics in the United States, although there was reason to think that there had been tremendous losses in the colonial period, but of course no one was keeping statistics then. But starting in the 1840s, you had Irish and then German immigration, and later in the 19th century, immigration from Italy, Poland, and other parts of Eastern Europe. Now, <clears throat> at first, the church was hard-pressed even to provide the sacraments for people. Uh, you know, there weren't enough priests, there weren't enough parishes, people would settle in out-of-the-way places where there were no Catholic, there was very little Catholic presence, and as a, as a result, there was a tremendous loss to the church. And so when the church was struggling even to maintain and hold her members and give them the basic catechesis, it was understandable that she couldn't really devote much attention to these larger questions. And another important factor in this, in this matter was that in the 1880s and 1890s, you had a number of prelates, uh, most notably the Archbishop of St. Paul, Minnesota, John Ireland, but to some extent, Cardinal Gibbons himself, who were really uh, trying to Americanize the immigrants. They wanted the immigrants to embrace the American uh, ethos, both the, those things that could be called good, but those things that could be called bad. And they seem to, especially Archbishop Ireland has a number of quite amazing quotes about how uh, the embrace of democracy, for example, is more important than pilgrimages. And, uh, very, very uh, odd things for him to say, but he was one of the Americanizers. So the American controversy was kind of Leo the Thirteenth in 1899 uh, put a lid on it by his letter to Cardinal Gibbons, but it still festered underground, if you will, and the and Catholics began to pretty much endorse the American 
way of looking at things and, and, and uh, accept all these attitudes of privatization of religion. Now, until the 60s, 1960s, there was a certain, uh, things were kept under, under wraps, or, or rather there was a lid put on these things to some extent, because there was still a sense that we, yeah, we're Catholics, we're different, and there was a sense of ecclesiastical discipline. So, there, so it wasn't full blown. But in the 1960s, <clears throat> when uh, ecclesiastical discipline broke down pretty much all over the church, there was nothing to keep Catholics from embracing the, um, the American ethos. And some of them did so by embracing what we call the conservative American ethos. Others did so by embracing what we call in the US the liberal ethos. I'm using liberal now in the usual way that we use it. And so nowadays we have two first blocks in the church, just like we have two first blocks in the country. And and, and both of their uh, views are rooted not in uh, Catholic theology or Catholic tradition, but in uh, Lockean tradition and Lockean views of what the uh, body politics should be about. You have a great quote in your book that kind of shed some light on how deeply ingrained this became in the Catholic Church. You, you, you quote a 19th century Catholic politician named Charles O'Connor, who said basically that the American man is considered a failure and ought to be considered a failure unless he's risen above his station in life. So that, that gives some indication of the extent of this. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the embrace of the, of the uh, idea that life is about advancement, about material, the accumulation of material goods, uh, it's, it's been part of the American ethos for, well, probably since around 1800 at least. And, and the Catholics pretty much embraced it because nobody was telling them, you know, not only do you have to preserve your, uh, your faith, your adherence to the catechism, for example, your adherence to dogma, but you have to realize that the Catholic Church is, um, Catholic tradition and Catholic faith is associated with a different way of looking at things, a different way of living, a different way of, of organizing even the uh, political realm, let alone the economic realm. And nobody was doing that. Because as I said, on the one hand, the Catholic resources were stretched to the limit. And on the other hand, you had a powerful group in the church who were um, who was actually promoting the embrace of, of, uh, of these of the American ethos. So it was it was hard. There were a few people, for example, there was the German German American Catholics tended to be more critical of this of the American ethos than, than the other ethnic groups. They were better organized. Uh, some of them came from a a more wealthy economics, right? I don't mean rich, I mean craftsmen and things like that. They weren't just uh, farm laborers. So they had more leisure and more education to think about these things. So the German American Catholics had organized actually quite a network of newspapers and institutions in the late 19th and early 20th century, which was pretty much destroyed at World, in World War I when there was a tremendous anti-German reaction and a lot of newspapers switched over from German to English. Now, there was one German-American Catholic, Arthur Freuss, whose father had, was actually a convert and come over to teach at the Lutheran Seminary in St. Louis and then became a Catholic. And Arthur Freuss realized that these ideas that were current in the German-American um, German community needed to be brought into the larger Catholic uh, sphere in the United States. So instead of writing in German, he wrote in English, and he published a magazine called The Fortnightly Review from around 1900 until his death in the early 30s. And although he was well known at the time, I mean, a number of bishops attended his funeral, he was well known at the time, but his influence really wasn't, wasn't very lasting. 
the forces for assimilation were just too powerful for what he was saying. When you look at Joel Osteen and those kinds of preachers today, uh, is there have there been any studies or is there any indication of how many of his followers are ex-Catholics? Uh, that's a good I, question. I would imagine it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine because unfortunately there's, there's a huge number of ex-Catholics in this country and some of them have become, uh, well, some of them, if you look at the Pew studies, for example, some of them have become mainstream Protestants and some have become uh, various kinds of evangelicals or fundamentalists, and some of them just abandoned religion altogether. But I don't, I'm not aware of any study that's actually done with that. If you look at the few studies, it's about, if I recall, it's about a third, a third, and a third of Catholics who have gone to each of these three orientations, religious orientations. But not, of course, not all, not all evangelicals are adherents of the prosperity gospel. That would be false to say that, and some of them are actually quite critical of it. But there is certainly a subset that is uh, that is uh, has embraced it. And as a matter of fact, the prosperity preachers are really not very theological. I mean, so some of them are, are very weak on even the basics like the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they and the, some of the more evangelical, the, the evangelicals who are more interested in doctrine would would uh, tend to be very critical of the prosperity preachers. Mm -hmm. Well, our guest today is Thomas Stork. He is the author of The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teaching. We're going to take a little break and we'll continue our conversation after a moment. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Thomas Stork, and we're talking about his new book, The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teaching. Thomas, uh, could you talk a little bit about what it means to convert a culture? How would you go about converting a culture that that's susceptible to the prosperity gospel? We have had in the past successful examples of the conversion of cultures uh, in the original evangelization of Europe, and much of the Spanish 
evangelization in various parts of the world uh, were successful at attempts at converting cultures. The interesting thing is that those the cultures they converted were pagan cultures. There is not, in my to my knowledge, an example of the convert a successful conversion of a uh, mature Protestant culture, which was what we had in the United States. That would be very difficult to uh, undertake. But the first thing you would do would be to make sure that the Catholics themselves, we ourselves, were aware of the problems and <clears throat> were taking steps, for example, by our institutions, by our schooling. Now, the bishops were, the American bishops did the right thing in the 1880s when they mandated at the third plenary council of Baltimore that every parish had to have a, a school. But uh, it was often seen as simply a matter of, of um, teaching the catechism, making sure that Catholics had the basic faith. And that was all good and necessary as far as it went. But the schools could have done more. They could have tried to inculcate a Catholic, to use the current term, Catholic worldview, uh, and show how it was not the same as the Protestant worldview that was surrounding them. So, yeah, uh, that would have been the first step. Now, how you broke out from that to the uh, larger culture, that would be that's interesting. The, the interesting thing is, though, that you had a number of prominent Protestant or secularist uh, thinkers who saw that there was something in the Catholic worldview that was attractive and superior. Now, some of these were, became converts, like, for example, the, the uh, Columbia University professor Carlton Hayes, who uh, uh, lamented the fact that the Catholic, we Catholics had had very little influence on American culture in general. But then you had Henry Adams, the um, son and grandson of two presidents, in his, I don't know if you know his remarkable book, which I referred to in here in my book, uh, Mostly Michelle and Charger, in which he talks about the, the attractiveness of medieval French culture and contrasts it with the crassness and materialism that uh, was characterizing American culture at the time. So yeah, there were, there were openings that could have been exploited, if you will, could have been made use of uh, with these thinkers that say, yeah, you know, there is something, there is, there is something in the Catholic tradition that's extremely attractive and maybe we should investigate it more. If the church had really pushed that aspect, uh, and then it's possible that we could have made more progress in converting the culture. But there, although there were individuals who pushed it, the church as a whole uh, didn't seem to be aware that, yeah, the culture needed to be converted as well as, as well as individuals. Do you think there's a need for more efforts in mass communication? I mean, you see some of that moving forward with like Bishop Barron does a lot of things on social media and with his documentaries and things like <laughs> that. Is that an area that, that needs a little bit of improvement from a Catholic perspective? Yeah, what he's doing to, to highlight the, the beauty of the Catholic tradition is, in my opinion, an excellent approach. And more could be done with that. But right now, of course, we have an added problem, as I said before, in that the up until the 60s, there was a certain sense of Catholic discipline and a certain sense of they were, we're different. The most important thing is to be a Catholic and, um, and we're different. So that, that was a, a little bit of a check on the uncritical embrace of American culture. But now that's mostly gone. And so the first step would be to try to, to um, make Catholic Catholic, to try to um, uh, say, yeah, you know, don't, don't take your identity from any of the political blocs that uh, uh, are prominent in American culture. 
Take your identity from the church. Take your identity from what the church just taught uh, traditionally and, and currently. And this is this is the first step, in my opinion, that we need to do. Because if you're losing, if you're losing thousands of Catholics every year, and you're converting maybe dozens of people, you're not you're not making progress. Uh, yeah, let's. I'm a convert myself, so I'm certainly um, uh, all in favor of conversions. But uh, if you're not holding your you're not holding your own, you've got a problem. If, if our if our young people are leaving. We've got to ask, why is this? Where? What are, what are we not doing? What are we not telling them? Why are we not giving them a way of life, showing them a way of life, showing them the beauty of the faith, not just in terms of art and so on, but in terms of the whole Catholic approach and, and say, you know, this is really superior to the uh, simply desire to make a lot of money, which is too often what American culture offers us. Since your book has come out, have you received any pushback from preachers of the prosperity gospel or their adherents? Is, have they responded to some of your arguments or made counter arguments? They're probably not even aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably would just ignore it if they, if they did become aware of it. So no, I mean, there's been a, uh, I've had a couple of reactions from Catholics that they, I was too critical in it of our economic system. Um, but uh, again, I, I, what I, I've written a lot about economics over the years, and I try to base myself pretty closely on what the popes have written in their social teachings. So this is an area that needs to be much better known by Catholics. And the papal encyclicals, not just the current, most recent ones, but going all the way back to the Bar in 1891, need to be read, need to be understood, and to the extent that we can, need to be applied. How can people break free of the prosperity gospel? It, it's so alluring. Well, the people who are really um, enthralled with it, uh, that's really hard to say because most of them have very, for them, Christianity is just about getting something from God. And it, it is hard, obviously, to take up your cross. I mean, it's, it's very hard to take up your cross. None of us, very few of us enjoy taking up our cross. So to, to talk to those people who are really uh, in the, in the the thralls of it, it's, it's hard. You, you have to try to convince them, first of all, of some of the basic theological truths, uh, taking up your cross, for example. As far as Catholics who are uh, involved with the prosperity gospel, it, it's what I said before. We need to preach the whole, the whole Catholic faith, not just parts of it, not just the parts that people want to hear, but the, everything. And then some people will say, yeah, you know, I, I see I've been misled. Ultimately, it's a matter of God working in, in souls and us doing our part as far as we can. And uh, some people will realize this, some people won't. If people wanted to learn more about the prosperity gospel and what the Catholic Church teaches about the prosperity gospel, uh, do you have any other books or recommended reading? Well, <clears throat> as far as my own books, I have a book about Catholic social teaching called the Economics of Justice and Charity, published by uh, uh, Angelical Press. But... I would really recommend that people, I know a lot of people don't read much, but read in Catholic tradition. Read A good place to start with would be the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I think is uh, a pretty good, pretty good document and extremely attractive in many parts. But don't just read that, but don't stop there. The, the period between the World War I and World War II was a brilliant flowering of Catholic culture. We have wonderful writers like G.K. Chesterton, uh, Larabella, Ronald Knox, uh, Sigurd Unset, and, and many others. 
in in, uh, in most countries of Europe and in the United States. Read these people. They were, were they were close to us in our time, so they're the things they talk about will resonate and the way, say, a medieval writer's concerns might not. But they were close enough to us in time, and they present a, a really attractive, in my opinion, view of what it means to be a Catholic. Not just, yeah, yeah, I believe these things, yeah, I go to Mass, but yeah, I have a worldview that is unique, powerful, interesting, and beautiful. I mean, I'm, I've been a Catholic now for over 40 years, and I still find the Catholic worldview just absolutely beautiful and fascinating. And um, uh, I would like others to, to see that, that beauty and that fascination too. Well, our guest today has been Thomas Stork. He's the author of The Prosperity Gospel, How Greed and Bad Philosophy Distorted Christ's Teaching. And it's published by Tan Books. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Every child enters the world with limitless potential. Potential of mind. Potential of body. Potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach. Catholic schools rise above. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love. <laughs>